Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast, day 28 of the Cricket World Cup. New Zealand, South Africa, not such a great day to be a Black Caps fan, but there's still plenty to talk about. Sixes, injuries, lots and lots of stuff to break down in terms of New Zealand's performance and, and what this all means for, for the rest of the tournament. So we'll be breaking down that right after this. Baldy, it's it's often been a very good morning when I've come on and, and talked to you after a, a New Zealand game, but now we're at three losses in a row for, for New Zealand, a few sort of shaky moments, and I think we'll sort of get to some of those and, and what that all might mean for New Zealand. But but I, I think I want to start, because it's going to be a major talking point, with the toss, because Raj and I talked yesterday, we were talking about the tournament and, you know, thinking about this game and the way South Africa's gone about things in particular. And, and the main thing is that they've they've batted first, I think even all of 2023, they've batted first and piled up these massive, massive scores. I think before this, it was nine out of 10 games that they'd batted first. They'd scored over 300. And I think you look at that and you go, okay, well, clearly, if New Zealand wins a toss, they will bat first, try and put South Africa under pressure, You know, try and do what the Netherlands did, try and do what Pakistan did, and then they don't. And you sort of think, I, I, I'm sort of in two minds. I, part of me goes, okay, well, New Zealand has the confidence to say, we don't care about you. We want to chase. We know that, you know, on this ground, we think that the, the better conditions will be to chase. But I think what New Zealand has also done really well in the past, and we've talked about it a bit as well, is that they assess the situation and they assess the team they're playing and they, you know, manage, the, manage all parts of the game and then they figure out the best way to win this game. And I think now two games in a row, they've looked at the conditions and what they want to do and gone, we'll have a bowl, and it hasn't really panned out for them. You're absolutely right, Stuart. Um, the only reasoning I can think of is that New Zealand are playing the long game here. And they've said that we don't want to show South Africa all of our hand early doors in the group stage. We might meet them in the semi-final or the final we want to put them under pressure in that game and we don't want their weakness to chase us exposed in the group stage. That's the only reason that I can come up with this morning for the decision to bowl first against a side that just loves to bat first. They they have a tremendous amount of freedom when they bat first South Africa. They bat like there's nothing riding on the game. There's no pressure on them, whatever. They fiddle with the order of their lineup. We saw today, I thought the decision to put Miller in when they did was an absolutely superb decision. And they just they just bat with utter freedom. And that is proving a formula for success for them. I can only think that New Zealand are foxing them, playing the long game and trying for a rope-a-dope strategy in that we'll let you score 350 in the group stage, uh, but we'll bowl you out for 248 in the semi-final, having made 270 batting first. Well, I hope you're right. I think it's a very bold decision to be foxing, and and now, uh, you know, now I think New Zealand's going to be in a situation where, you know, as I said, they've lost three games on the bounce. They're they're in a, a situation where these next couple of games, after after making such a very good start, are now pretty pretty important. And uh, you know, we've got Pakistan at the weekend, which we'll we'll talk about, I'm sure. You mentioned that New Zealand, or well, we've talked about New Zealand bowling first. They actually made a pretty good start. Trent Bold, I think, bowled his best spell of the tournament up front. Gave Quinton de Kock absolutely no width at all. 
And then, you know, he gets Bavuma. South Africa's 15 for none off five overs. They're 38 for none, for one off 10. And it's, or 43 for one off 10. It was 38 when they lost the wicket. And actually, it's even 61 for one off 15. And you're sort of thinking, okay, New Zealand can take some chances here and, and actually put South Africa under this pressure that we wanted to see them under. But the way New Zealand, they had a lot of half chances. Glenn Phillips dropped the catch, a really, really tough chance off uh, Tim Southey at point. But that's been a hallmark of New Zealand, the way they've been able to grab those chances. And it just didn't happen today again, much like the Australia game. And yeah, I don't know. It feels like some of the things for New Zealand just aren't quite clicking as they were at the start of the tournament. Possibly so. I think we we want to talk about injuries, I think, because the the injury to Matt Henry, the hamstring, I think really had a massive impact on New Zealand's bowling effort and gave South Africa an opportunity to exploit the situation, which they did tremendously. I just want to touch on that Glenn Phillips catch, though, because listeners who won't have seen the highlights or won't have seen the game might put that down as a drop chance. There are very, very few international cricketers that would have put a hand on that ball, even you know specialist fielders at, at backward point or in the gully. So I don't think that's necessarily Glenn Phillips' fault. He is one of the very few fielders in world cricket that turns a, a no chance even into a half chance. Um, the unfortunate thing for New Zealand was that the cock was on 12 at the time and went on and got another 102. So it was quite impactful from that perspective. But I thought New Zealand you know, fielded pretty well. I think just South Africa are a tremendous batting unit at the moment. And unfortunately, to make inroads against South Africa, you have to get five or six wickets to expose the lower order. And they're five or six very difficult wickets to get. They don't give you many chances, as many sixes as they hit. They set a World Cup record overnight, still with two pool games and potentially a semi-final and maybe even a final to go. So they don't give you much. Um, and when they hit the ball, it tends to stay hit. So unfortunately for New Zealand, they had to take all their opportunities. And that injury to Matt Henry in his sixth over meant that New Zealand had to find now 14 and a half overs from Phillips, Ravindra and James Neesham, which proved to be expensive. Let's just call it that. Yes, expensive is is one way to put it. I I, I actually do agree with you on the, on the fielding side in terms of the ground fielding. I thought New Zealand's ground fielding was was really excellent. I think the you know they'll look back and and think that some of their catching was could have been better. That a lot of the chances that they did have were were tough. You you know I think you're spot on about Phillips. It, you know that was that's one of those ones that sticks or it doesn't. It was a you know a, it would have been an absolute screamer and and the kind of but it's the kind of thing that changes a match. You know, you take that and they're suddenly two down for, for 40 and De Kock's out and, and, you know, New Zealand would have been on a real roll. There were, De Kock's innings in particular, there were there were plenty of sort of half chances where the ball would sky up in the air. You know, uh, Santner almost got him caught and bowled on about 19, 20 as well. Bolt dropped a couple of catches. I, I think maybe both were Rassi van der Dussen you know, at various points in his innings on the boundary or, you know, near enough to it, running back for one of them. So, yeah, just those half chances weren't sticking. But I, I think you're spot on about the, uh, you know, the, the Henry injury. I mean, we'll get to the, the injuries uh, and sort of the impact we might talk about a little bit later. But, yeah, the fact that he went off, I think I had it down 
He goes off. Uh, it was 30, 137 for one and 26.3 overs. Matt Henry twinges his hamstring and you know goes off the field. He sort of twinged it, looked immediately, kind of had a bit of a chat to Trent Bolt. It looked like he might have thought, maybe I should just push on, finish this over. And Trent Bolt was like, no, 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 like, he was signaling, signaled to Latham, signaled to the 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 coaching staff, and kind of said, "No, look, I think you you need to go off." And yeah, absolutely, it it mucked up New Zealand's plans because you got to the back end of that innings, we hadn't taken enough wickets, and you know, at Nisham Nisham was kind of thrown to the wolves. I felt a bit sorry for him. You know, he's uh, he's been asked to bowl at the death against uh, Australia and and now against South Africa against set batters with wickets in hand, you know, piling up big, big scores. And, you know, again, he sort of, uh, there was one of those chances that I mentioned with Trent Bolt. uh, It was a drop catch, goes for six, next ball goes for six also. And and suddenly, you know, everything's kind of spiraling for for Jimmy Neesham. And yeah, it it wasn't great at the end there. And his figures look pretty ugly. Look, they do, but if you have a think about the missed opportunities in those two spells, he had two dropped catches, I think, against Australia, if I'm right, in an over. That over ended up going for 18 or 20. He had a similar situation last night. The overall impact, though, of having to find 14 and a half overs between Phillips, Ravindra, and Nisham is that, if my maths is correct, South Africa were able to score 138 off those 14 overs. That's near enough as makes no difference, 10 and over. They scored 119 off their last 10. So despite the fact that they were only, what, only, when I say only, they were 230 with 10 to go and managed to make their way to 357. Um, That injury to Matt Henry, if Matt Henry can continue to go to fives instead of tens, that's a 50-run difference in terms of the overall outcome of this game. And New Zealand find themselves potentially chasing 300 instead of 360 as a result of that. And I think New Zealand probably would have fancied themselves going into the innings break only chasing 300 or even 310. I think the batting team has far more chance of getting involved in a game like that when they're only chasing a runner ball. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even Tom Latham said it after the game. He said, you know, 330, 340, we would have been feeling relatively confident at the break that that we could go in and, and chase that. And, and 360 obviously proved far too many in the end. And yeah, look, I mean, you know, the the way that New Zealand, uh, you mentioned run rates and, and uh, the way that South Africa kind of exploded at the end. I thought it was kind of ridiculous during the commentary how the commentators basically just kept saying, South Africa need to start picking it up here. For about 10 overs, they were going on about Van der Dissen and, and, uh, and de Kock, you know, maybe going a bit too slow. And, and maybe they were a bit spooked by the fact that New Zealand almost did chase down 390 or whatever it was against Australia and and New Zealand you know had chased down England's score early on in the tournament very very well and, and convincingly and 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 look have chased very well and obviously that played a hand in the fact that they decided to to chase in this game but you know when I, South Africa were 155 for one after 30 overs I think that's exactly the spot that they wanted to be because they also kept saying commentary oh you know one day, this uh, this middle order, this dangerous, powerful middle to lower order, is going to fail. But they, they just you're you're not you're not playing the game to kind of go. Okay, well they might fail, so we better you know do more up front. You're setting it up for them to do their job, which is exactly what 
they did and you know David Miller came in and smashed it and and you mentioned the sixes before they just started started raining down and you know Glenn Phillips even he he bowled pretty well up front he'd bowled his first five over spell you know pretty tidily and and then was asked to come back and and bowl an over at the end when you know as you say Matt Henry probably would have been bowling that we've gone kind of quite far into the South African innings and, and we haven't even really talked about the the 200 run partnership between Van der Dissen and Quinton de Kock. I think probably the first place to start it is Quinton de Kock because this is his fourth hundred in this World Cup. I mean, it's it's absolutely remarkable. I think, you know, last time I was on after a South Africa game, I think I said, you know, how, how bizarre it is that he seems to be at the top of his game and he's going to be retiring from, from ODI cricket. But yeah, maybe, maybe you know, as I said, there were a few early on where he's kind of skying it up in the air and had a few lucky moments. But I think maybe just a word on, on how good Quentin Cock has been in this innings and, and obviously throughout this World Cup, setting South Africa up for these big scores. We've been treated to some terrific performances from opening batters in this World Cup, haven't we, really? I mean, if you think about it, we've had Rohit, we've had Warner, we've had Quinton de Kock, uh, we've had Ravindra, uh, if you count him as an opener, because he has opened the batting in this World Cup. So we've had even Gerbats from, from Afghanistan as well. So we've had some just absolutely outstanding performances from various opening batters in this World Cup. But Quinton de Kock, I think, given that there's been so much quality around all of those opening batters, his performances haven't really had a light shined upon them as strongly and as in focus as it should have been. 400 so far in the World Cup. Only Rohit has more hundreds in a World Cup than than Quinton de Kock. He has just been outstanding for South Africa. They've needed a guy to stand up at the top of the order for them and, and get them off to a great start so that their middle order can capitalise and he's just been absolutely brilliant in this World Cup. And it will be a shame not to see him play ODI cricket going forward. But if we're going to get treated to a swan song of this calibre, I'm just glad that we're here to witness it because his performances in this World Cup have been all time. Yeah, look, I, you know, I can't add much much more to that. I will, you know, just say, yeah, Van der Dussen as well, just spectacular. And and he's probably the one in that lineup. Bavuma's struggled a bit in this tournament but you know van der Dussen's probably the one in this lineup that hasn't had the light shined on him as much in this world cup as well because of the way that markram and uh Klaassen and miller have been able to kind of finish those innings and play sort of rapid scores and and van der Dussen was one of the ones or was was probably the main person they were talking about actually in commentary about you know he's got to get going now he's got to get going now and you know, he ended up scoring his 100 off 101 balls, which was actually faster than Quinton de Kock, who scored his off 103 balls. And then, you know, from there, he just goes and goes and goes and, and ups the rate even further. So, you know, I think this is their second 200-run partnership of this World Cup, if, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, look, that, they were spectacular. And to, to get 357 for four or whatever it was, just pile on those runs. And, you know... It, I, we we keep kind of going. Okay, well, South Africa have got some flaws, or you know, maybe they're they're not the real deal. But I I think it's all of that's been put to bed. You know, maybe they. You know, who knows what happens in these semi-finals and finals uh, to come? But they've now. I believe they they are pretty much locked in for a semi-final spot. It would have to be something disastrous for them for them not to make it from here. And, uh, you know, they're, they're looking very, very strong. Them and India 
looks almost nailed on for the finals at, at the moment if you're just picking on form. Mm. The only way that South Africa can miss out now is on net run rate. You'd need five teams to finish on 12 points. That would require Afghanistan to beat the Netherlands, beat Australia, and then beat South Africa to finish on 12 points. They would have to do so with a significant boost to their net run rate. South Africa would have to lose all of their remaining games against India and Afghanistan so heavily that they drop from being first in net run rate plus 2.2, incredible net run rate, by the way, uh, to to drop below Afghanistan's, who's currently minus 0.7. So uh, mathematically still a chance, but all but impossible, I think, for South Africa to miss out on the semifinals from here. The real yardstick now for them going forward is how do they measure up against India, who have been the form side of this tournament so far. They don't play until November the 5th, which seems like a long way away, but it's only three days away. India have got a game against Sri Lanka in the interim. In fact, I think that game is tonight. So the real measure, I think, of South Africa will be how do they square up against an Indian side who has been dominant with bat and ball, as have been the South Africans. I think that looms as being the the premier fixture in this group stage as far as uh, you know quality is concerned. I don't see any weakness in South Africa's cricket at the moment. They brought in Shamsi. He did well. They've got spin. Maharaj, some of the deliveries against New Zealand, I'm sure had you, Priapic, uh, in terms of the, the ball going through the gate. We'll get to that in a second. But South Africa don't seem to have a weakness at the moment. All the things that have traditionally been challenging for them have been absolute strengths. And as soon as they get off to a good start with wickets in hand, look out because that middle order... They just haven't failed. They haven't. They haven't had a game, maybe against the Netherlands, perhaps, where they where they failed to fire. So they've been outstanding, South Africa, throughout this tournament. And let's hope for their sake and for fans of the Rainbow Nation that the dreaded C word doesn't come out in a game where it's uh, win or go home. Let's talk about New Zealand, Stu, before we look forward to this next slate of matches coming up in the World Cup. Are you concerned now that New Zealand have dropped three on the bounce and things are looking just a tiny bit shaky? Or is this just a case of we've run into a very good side, it was happened to be their day, and there's things to work on going forward for New Zealand? I'm happy that you uh, that we're we're not going to talk about the New Zealand batting because that was that was not so pretty. And um, you know, I think yeah, probably the less said about that, the better. And and um, I think the temptation and Tom Latham said it again and and after the, the match, we don't become a bad side in three days. You know, I think that's what they'll be thinking. They'll be going, okay, well, you know, we've we've put on a you know pretty decent performance against India. We've put a decent performance together against Australia, even though those games did not end up in wins. They're against good sides and they accounted themselves pretty well, although in both those games I think they'll they'll have wanted to do things a little bit better. But this game, yeah, this game it all just went wrong and I think you mentioned before the net run rate and, and that I think was what probably is the most disappointing thing about the New Zealand batting is the, the way they went about it. I, I don't think they learned especially well from that chase against Australia. What that showed is that when they build partnerships, and I, and I mean, I think that's been the key for the entire World Cup. You build a partnership, you can pile on the runs later on, you can catch up later on. And I think New Zealand probably thought we just have to keep going because we want to get the score. 358's a long way away. We have to just keep going. But actually, I think in, in hindsight, they might think to themselves, probably we just needed to build a partnership, 
you know, maybe it's it's probably the the Phillips and Mitchell one is is probably the one where they look and go, Daryl Mitchell, did I need to run down the wicket and and third ball off Ke- uh, Keshav Maharaj and try and donk him out of the attack? You know, first first over, possibly not. Although in saying that, you know, Daryl Mitchell's in such good form that he probably just thinks I'm going to do this and hit it for six, so it doesn't really matter. But you know, I think they'll look back at this and go, we probably needed to get you know, another 50 or 100 runs, even if we had lost this game, because that gives us such a boost and makes this game against Pakistan not such a, you know, not as critical as it is now, because now they lose to Pakistan, that net run rate's going to get very, very dicey. And yeah, it's, it is worrying for me, you know, I, I, to answer you, to answer your question after a bit of a long ramble, I'm, I thought we had to win this game or, or at least had to get pretty close because you you, you find yourself now going into a, a an almost must-win match off three losses. And, you know, the, the injuries that we've touched on but haven't kind of gone gone in detail, they're piling up now. And, and New Zealand's in a situation where we've got, to, we've got to figure out how we can even get 11 fit players on the park to start with and then get everything to fire. And all the little things that we were doing well at the start of the tournament were not quite nailing now at, at, in these games that against the, you know, you could say New Zealand has beaten all the sides that they probably should have beaten on paper. And now we're facing sides that, you know, are fighting for those semi-final spots. We're not getting it right. And we're not really being able to win these games. And, and maybe, you know, we, we are finding ourselves in a fight for the semi-final spot, which potentially didn't look like it was going to happen a few games ago. Mm. Yeah, well, Pakistan have got their World Cup back on track with that win against Bangladesh yesterday. Afghanistan have another game in hand. They're on six points, can get to eight with a win over the Netherlands. And then that really starts to put some pressure on uh, Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, who look like the other three sides that are in contention for that uh, third and fourth spot. I think everyone's playing for third and fourth now with South Africa and India on 12 points each. India now with a game in hand against Sri Lanka tonight, of course. The injuries, let's talk about the injuries for New Zealand. Kane out with a broken thumb. Matt Henry has done himself a mischief. I think Lockie Ferguson has done himself a bit of a mischief as well. Saudi's just come back from injury. So there is some concern here around New Zealand being able to put a full team on the field. And perhaps not so much can they get 11 blokes, but can they get 11 players that suit the style of play that that they want to play, I think is the the big concern for New Zealand at the moment. Yeah, well, and, and you know, Nisham's hurt himself in this game. He's been, uh, you know, hit on the wrist. It was, he, they have actually cleared uh, that the x-rays did not show, a, you know, a break, which is, which is huge. But, you know, still he, he, batted at nine, I think it was. He came out after Santner, came out after Southie. So he was obviously still in, in a lot of discomfort. Matt Henry's come out at 11 and, and could barely run, could barely sort of play any shots. So I would say his World Cup is probably over. But, you know, as you mentioned, the like trying to get actually, you know, we've got Chapman as well, who's got a calf niggle. Lockie had a calf niggle. Kane's got his thumb injury. So, that's five players, and, and we've only got a squad of 15. So one of those players is, is going to have to play, unless they say, well, because the only other person they've got over there, as far as I'm aware, is Tom Blundell, who, you know, obviously if one of the bowlers is not fit, he's, he doesn't help much. 
you know, so I, I just don't know what they're going to do because Kyle Jamison was over there. Kyle Jamison came back on a plane, played for Canterbury in the last Plunkett Shield game. So, you know, I can't see how they can get him over in time to potentially replace a Matt Henry. So, yeah, big decisions. I feel like Sodi's going to have to play. You know, potentially he should have played in this game. But, you know, that's it. probably in, in hindsight, it, it's not going to have made a, a huge amount of difference. But, yeah, it's it's a major concern because Matt Henry has been he's been good in this tournament for for New Zealand. He's been one of the the leading bowlers. So, you know, if he's out for the for the rest of the the tournament, that's going to hurt us. And and even just managing the balance of our side. And you know, because if if it's just Southie and Bolt up front, and there's no Ferguson, no Henry, then it's all spin from there. And it's yeah, potentially, I you know, I don't know. Bengaluru's been. We've only had a couple of games there. We saw Australia's big win against Pakistan, and then with big scores, and then we saw South Sri Lanka take take down England, where England scored you know very few in that first innings. So, yeah, I just don't know, and it, it's a concern. It's a big concern with all these injuries piling up, and you know, New Zealand's been pretty cagey about how bad these injuries are in terms of Ferguson and Chapman and, and Williamson before this game. So who knows, maybe one or, or more of them will be fit for, for the game against Pakistan. But yeah, I genuinely don't know what they can, they're going to do if all five of them are ruled out because someone will have to be then ruled out for the tournament and Blunder will have to come in and suddenly your balance of the side looking looking very, very odd. On, on that sort of front, the, they did mention in the commentary uh, about that a lot of people. The, a lot of the commentators were talking about how a fifteen-man squad feels outdated for the way that World Cups and and major tournaments are these days. You know, you look at um, even you know you look at the Rugby World Cup, 30, 30 player squads, maybe even more. Football World Cups, there's you know huge squads that have players that can rotate in and out. Even like an IPL franchise that that has loads and loads of players that they can rotate through. This is a seven seven week tournament, I think. You know, eight weeks. Is fifteen players too much? I mean, I, I will say that it didn't seem or too few. Sorry, it didn't seem a problem. You know, up until this point, I think you know New Zealand hasn't been hampered by oh we would have played these other players that are at home. I don't think that's have been any concern up until this point, but. I think logistically now they would like to have a few extra players over sitting on the bench with them. Yeah, as you say, it doesn't become a problem until you've got two or three injuries in your squad and then all of a sudden it becomes a a really, really big deal. Uh, Possibly a conversation for this weekend cricket when we're all together in the room and we can really break it down. I don't think we're going to have time to, at 26 minutes into our daily wrap, cover this in any great detail, but it certainly is a concern for New Zealand. I think if you think about some of the key talking points that might come out of this conversation going forward, are things like the squad-based game now is much more uh, part of cricket than it has been in the past. It's much more a game uh, built around you know your squad and your depth, particularly in the fast bowling department. We know a lot more about workloads and uh, sports science and uh, injury management now than we have in the past. And even though these teams are playing one day of cricket every three or four days, we know that workloads build up and injuries can happen, as have happened to New Zealand. The other thing I think that's worth thinking about, particularly in the T20 context or the white ball context, is one of matchups and one of conditions. How do you build a squad that can exploit or take the best advantage of various conditions that are available to you? Uh, Bigger squads don't suit all countries, of course. 
countries with more depth like India, potentially England, Australia, maybe even New Zealand, benefit from having bigger squads. I don't think it would benefit a team like the Netherlands or Afghanistan to bring 18 players to a World Cup, uh, particularly if it's this format, which, of course, changed formats in 2027 to a much more protra- a much shorter event. So maybe squads mean less across that tournament. But certainly for New Zealand now, with four or five injuries building up in the back end of the group stage, uh, squad depth becomes a bit of an issue. So one, I think we need to unpack some of those talking points in a little bit of detail on a This Week in Cricket Stew. Speaking of injuries, uh, Australia have fallen victim to the new blood sport that is golf, uh, with a key player now being ruled out of the England clash with concussion. Yes, Glenn Maxwell, that, that news sort of broke during the, the New Zealand game. Glenn Maxwell sounds like he's fallen off a, a golf cart uh, and, you know, banged his head and, and is out for, uh, you know, with concussion protocols for, I think, six to seven days. So, yeah, going to be missing that that uh, England game, which, you know, will, as much as England's been struggling, it's it's an important game for Australia to kind of cement their spot in that third position, really, I think kind of nailed down that spot, which will, uh, you know, which will be pretty, obviously pretty important to, to get themselves into the semifinals. I don't play golf, really. Is golf this dangerous? It seems to be collecting a few cricketers at the moment. It has, and it can be a dangerous sport uh, in terms of maybe doing a hammy or injuring yourself at the 19th if you slip over on the carpet in your in your golf shoes. But look, there's there's been some freak accidents on the golf course over the last 12 to 18 months. You think of Johnny Bairstow's fall off the tee box. Josh Inglis, of course, destroyed his hand when his golf club shattered uh, in his hand. And now Glenn Maxwell uh, taking a tumble off the easy go golf cart uh, as they were returning to the clubhouse or whatever it was, certainly proving to be uh, the bane of, of cricket squads and cricket coaches in particular in terms of their availability. If there's any a silver lining to this cloud, it might be that uh, if Stoinis can get over his niggle, he'll come back into the squad uh, for the England game. Maybe an opportunity for Cameron Green uh, to find some game time against England, given that opportunity if Maxwell is out. But for Australia, it's a, it's a big blow in that if we could put England away, we can go to 10 points with two games to play and all but assure ourselves of a semi-final spot. So lots to play for November 4th against England. It's going to be a huge game for Australia now without one of their talisman who has provided them with a lot of impetus and punch in that lower order. So there's big shoes to fill for Australia, not just in the batting department, but Maxwell's spin bowling has been very useful as well. So they'll look to guys like Manus, Travis Head, maybe even a bit of Steve Smith to try and fill that gap. The challenge there for, of course, Australia is England will be thinking, well, we can take these guys down. If we can get 20 off two from Smith or we can hit Marnus out of the attack and take him for nines or tens, that just might give England a bit of momentum going into that game to get their World Cup back on track, not from a semi-finals perspective, but from a challenge, uh, Champions League qualification point of view, because as we remember, top seven sides plus Pakistan qualify for that Champions League. So for England, finishing inside that top eight is a huge net uh, win for them if they can if they can do that in their last three games. Look, Baldy, I think uh, you've you've humoured me enough uh, helping me talk through these these concerns I have for New Zealand. We've gone a bit longer than than we might have expected, and we've both got to to get off to work now. Listeners to the show, thanks for thanks as always for for joining us. We'll we'll be back again tomorrow. Obviously, keep liking and subscribing and commenting. We're, we're really appreciating 
everything that's going on there and, and sharing and, and telling your friends to, to tune in. We'll be uh, doing these daily updates for, for the rest of the tournament and then I think we're all looking forward to, to getting back to the This Week in Cricket shows that we, we've uh, you know been a, a major part of, of what we do and sort of breaking down all of these uh, topics in a bit more detail. So very much looking forward to that. But until then, uh, we'll see you all and have a very nice day and, and we'll see you all again tomorrow.